The scripture reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 3. And the response at the end is slightly different, so don't get caught off guard. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the true eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you, sh- you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You can be seated. And good morning again, and welcome to New Life Fremont. My name is Kevin, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet any of you yet. And we are starting a new sermon series this morning called Lament. This is going to be a short sermon series focused on grief, 
on sorrow, on mourning. And it's uh, just going to last four Sundays. And we'll uh, um, start today with the cause of lament. And then over the next three weeks, we'll talk about the pain of lament, the prayer of lament, and the hope of lament. And there are several reasons to start 2022 with a sermon series on lament. Um, One, I already mentioned earlier, uh, it's fitting for the season of life we're in as a church. Uh, Dr. Robert Kim's number one recommendation as a next step for us was to process and properly grieve the departure of Pastor Dave last summer and Pastor Rich before him. Uh, And it was, yeah, clear to Dr. Kim that our congregation still had some healing to do. And so uh, myself and the shepherd team thought it would be a good idea idea to spend a couple weeks in our sermon series talking about lament, in addition to lamenting in other ways, too. But more broadly, you know, we're still living with COVID nearly two years later. You know, we've lost something these two years. And, you know, have we truly grieved what we've lost? Have we lamented what's been lost during this time? Have we lamented that it's even possible for there to be such a thing as a pandemic? And then finally, even if life were totally normal right now, if there was no pandemic, if we hadn't gone through pastoral transitions, if everything was as expected, there would still be no shortage of things to lament. The world is fallen. You can't get through life without lamenting. You know, at the very least, you shouldn't get through life without lamenting because everyone has reasons to lament. You know, you might not acknowledge those reasons. You might try to keep, you know, the negative emotions of sadness away, but they're there. Everyone has reasons to lament. And thankfully, scripture is full of help when it comes to lament. You can find connections to lament everywhere from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. Scripture and God is not afraid to lean into sadness or mourning or grief or lament. And so for these four weeks, we're also going to lean into lament. And as I said, if we're going to start today with the cause of lament. Now, when I was a kid, I had a box of dominoes, and uh, occasionally we would play the game of dominoes as a family, but what I was far more interested in doing was standing up the dominoes on their ends in a line so that you could knock over the first domino, and then all the rest would follow. The entire line would be knocked down after knocking down one domino. And, you know, you could make all sorts of designs and patterns with these dominoes. You could split the line into multiple lines. You could, uh, you know, stack up some books, have the line go up the books, and then back down the books like stairs. Uh, And, you know, if you did everything just right, by simply knocking over that first domino, all the rest would fall. Our passage today from Genesis 3 is the first domino to fall. Genesis 3 actually has the section heading, The Fall, and this is the fall of mankind, the fall of all of creation. It's the first domino to fall. And all the rest of the dominoes, everything that's gone wrong since, everything that's wrong with the world today, you know, every lament in everyone's life can be traced back to this moment. It was the first domino to fall. It was the cause of all our laments. 
So we're going to look a little more closely at Genesis 3 and the fall and the first domino to fall, so to speak. And I want to break it up into three main fractures and relationships that flow from the fall and that lead to all of our laments today. And so we'll have a point devoted to each of these fractures, the fracture between God and humanity, the fracture between humanity and humanity, and the fracture between creation and humanity. And so let's begin with our first point, God and humanity. Now, the basic story of the fall, as I'm sure many of you know, is that God told Adam and Eve that they could, they could eat from any tree in the garden except for one. They could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of obeying and trusting God, Eve disobeyed and trusted the serpent. And so she ate from the fruit of the tree, and then she gave some of the fruit to Adam, who was with her, and he ate some also. Now, In this sermon, I'm not going to focus so much on the nature of Adam and Eve's first sin. I want to focus more on the results of their first sin, the consequences, the later dominoes that would fall now that this first domino had fallen. But it is worth pointing out here that all of our laments ultimately flow from sin. If Adam and Eve had trusted God instead of the serpent, if they had obeyed God instead of disobeying, we would have nothing to lament today. But that's not what happened. And so life ever since is now full of reasons to lament because of sin. Sin fractured everything. Sin is the cause of lament. And so the first fracture that I want to highlight is the fracture in the relationship between God and humanity. Notice what happens immediately after Adam and Eve eat the fruit. Verses 7 and 8 say, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They became self-conscious about being naked, and they covered themselves, and they actually hid from God when they heard him approaching. Now, there can be a way of talking about God and his holiness that makes it seem like because we are sinful and impure and God is perfect and holy that he stays away from us. But if you read this story, it's always Adam and Eve who are moving away from God. God is actually moving toward them God doesn't demand that they cover themselves. They just do that on their own. God doesn't say, keep your distance from me, hide yourself. They just do that on their own. And so this fracturing of the relationship between God and humanity is mostly because of humanity. You know, God is holy. God is pure. That is true. But God seems to want to close the gap. Adam and Eve want to maintain their distance. And they do this because they're ashamed. They're embarrassed. You know, all the hallmarks of shame and embarrassment are there. They, they cover themselves. They hide physically from God. You know, that's what people do when they're ashamed. That's what people do when they're embarrassed. Now, obviously, we also experience shame and embarrassment in our relationships with other people. And with other people, what we might do is hide our shame and embarrassment, you know, cover ourselves, so to speak. Don't let other people see the full picture of ourselves because we're ashamed, because we're embarrassed. 
Or, you know, if hiding our shame and embarrassment doesn't work and someone sees something about us that is shameful and embarrassing, what we might do is then just hide our entire selves from them. You know, because we know that they know something shameful or embarrassing about us, well, then we'll just never be around them ever again. We'll, we'll go away. And you can kind of make this work with other people. Not always. Uh, you know, with some people, it's not so easy, like your family or your spouse or your kids or your parents. But with others, like friends or coworkers or neighbors, congregants at church, you can kind of hide yourself. You can either hide the specific sources of shame and embarrassment, or you can just hide your entire self. You can resolve never to see those people ever again. You know, once they've seen the real you, you could move. You could make new friends. You could get a new job. You could find a new church and start over with people who don't know you at all. I'm not saying that those are healthy things to do, but they're possible. You could kind of hide your shame from other people. But you can't do that with God right? You know, the strategies and approaches we take to hide our shame with people don't work with God. He knows everything. He is everywhere. If you try to hide or cover up, he knows what you're hiding. He knows what you're covering up. If you try to get away from him, hide your entire being from him, you can't. He's everywhere. Where can you go from his presence? There's nowhere. God knows everything, God is everywhere. And just like with Adam and Eve, he's moving toward you. And so the question is, what will you do? How will you respond to God moving toward you? You you can keep trying to hide and deceive yourself into believing that God either doesn't know what's shameful or embarrassing in your life, or you can continue to deceive yourself into believing that he isn't everywhere, that there's somewhere you can go where he's not. Uh, You can maybe even convince yourself that he doesn't exist at all. And, you know, that's what some people try to do to make just living life tolerable, but it doesn't ultimately work. So you, you can try all those things to get away from him, but they don't work. So instead, what you can do is move toward him also. The relationship has been fractured, but God moves toward you. Will you close the fracture by responding to him and moving toward him also? You know, that's the move for you, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, that's the move you need to make. If, if you're not a Christian, it's coming to God for the first time. If you are a Christian, it's that daily need to renew your walk and relationship with God. But to make that move, you have to step through lament. It's sad that our relationship with God was fractured. That's something to mourn. That's something to grieve. We were made to worship and walk with God in perfect fellowship. But that's been fractured. And so now, even for the oldest, wisest, most mature Christian in the world, in order to worship and walk with God, they have to daily repent of their sin. They have to daily lament of their sin and all the ways that they perpetuate the fracture in the relationship. I mean, don't you wish that you didn't have to do that? Don't you wish that the confession of sin in our worship service wasn't even necessary? Don't you wish we could just skip it? Don't you wish that weekly, daily, hourly, every minute of the day you weren't setting yourself against God, but instead walking in perfect fellowship? 
That's not the way this relationship was supposed to go. That's not the way this relationship was supposed to be. But it is the way it is right now. And something has been lost in our relationship with God. And so we need to lament that sometimes. The relationship between God and humanity has been fractured. There's no sense pretending that it hasn't. And so grieve that. Lament it. Now, the fracturing of our relationship with God was the first domino. And because it fell, other dominoes fell too. We fractured our relationship with God, and that's actually what led to other fractured relationships too. So that takes us to our second point, humanity and humanity. Uh, There's a TV show called Hard Knocks, and it's a sports reality series that each year follows one NFL team through training camp, you know, the period of time before the season starts. Once the season begins, you know, everyone on the team will obviously be working together to win games, to make the playoffs, to win the Super Bowl. But before the season starts, during training camp, the dynamic is a lot different. For many of the players, they're actually put in a position where they have to compete against their own teammates. That's because each NFL team goes into training camp with more players on their roster than they will be allowed to have once the regular season starts. And so eventually, each team will have to cut some people from their roster. And so during training camp, even though everyone is on the same team, for a time, they compete against their own teammates. They have to compete against people on the same team as them to try to get a final roster spot. Uh, In Genesis 3, a kind of similar situation is described. After Adam and Eve have sinned against God, there are three references to problems that will now arise among humans. Three ways that humanity will have a fractured relationship within itself how we turn against one another, how we compete with one another instead of playing on the same team, so to speak. So there's three three ways described in Genesis 3 that the relationship within humanity has been fractured. The first one is blame. Uh, Humanity will always try to blame one another. You know, when God pursues Adam and Eve to confront them, They try to hide, but their efforts don't work, and so God corners them and says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And what is Adam's answer? The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. You know, he plays the blame game. Adam blames Eve, and not so subtly blames God also. And so then God turns to Eve, and she plays the blame game also. She blames the serpent, And what both Adam and Eve are trying to do is point the finger at someone else so that there are no fingers pointing at them. You know, they want someone else to take all the responsibility so that each of them can take no responsibility. And moves like that fracture relationships, right? I mean, you don't like it when someone blames you for something that you aren't responsible for, right? Or even if you do share some responsibility, you don't like it when someone tries to put all responsibility on you instead of sharing it with you. Right, that kind of move fractures relationships. But ever since the fall, that's what we're tempted to do, to blame, to blame shift, to try to make it seem like 0% of the blame should fall on me, but 100% of the blame should fall on you. you know, you've done it. I'm sure you've had it done to you. 
and it fractures relationships. It's something to lament. Why are we so naturally inclined to blame one another? Why do we hesitate to take responsibility? So one of the problems that flows from the fall is our propensity to blame one another. Second problem that arises because of the fall is pain. Specifically, the pain of love. God says to Eve in verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Pain in childbearing, which I actually got to experience firsthand almost a year ago. Uh, When we were in the delivery room, Holly was squeezing my hand so tight. I had my ring on. Man, pain in childbearing. So I get it. I asked her permission to make that joke. But one of the sad realities is that in a fallen world, the gift, the blessing of a newborn child comes through excruciating pain. And that's just lousy, right? Why does the love a parent has for their newborn baby have to go hand in hand with pain? And of course, it's not just childbirth. You know, If you read verse 16, it kind of can sound like birth is the only painful part of raising children. But as any parent knows, the pain never goes away. It just manifests itself in new ways. And it's not just with our children. It's with everyone that you love. Because in a fallen world, love and pain go hand in hand. To love your child, to love anyone, is to open yourself up to pain. Pain when they disappoint you. Pain when they sin against you. Pain when you sin against them. Pain when the person you love is in pain. Pain when the person you love moves away. Pain if the person you love dies. So why, why does love have to hurt in this life? You know, it's something to lament that pain and love go hand in hand in a fallen world. That's the second way that the fall brings fracture to relationships in our life. Third way, the other problem among humans that arises because of the fall is rivalry. Still in verse 16, God says this to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And obviously, much more could be said about marriage relationships, but at the very least, what this verse highlights is that there will be rivalry in marriage. Instead of marriages characterized by complementary love and submission, marriages will be characterized by rivalry. Some spouses will find themselves with desires that run contrary to what's best for their spouse, and some spouses will be tempted to dominate. Now, I probably don't even really need to expound much on this point. If you're married, you know exactly what this verse is describing, right? It's a battle every day to view your spouse as the love of your life and not a rival to compete with. And here's the thing. For those of you who aren't married, this rivalrous dynamic is not limited to marriage. You know, if the fall has introduced rivalry to marriage, one of the most significant earthly relationships that you can have, the the relationship that rivalry makes no sense in because it fundamentally undercuts its purpose, if even marriage has rivalry in it, then all your other relationships are going to have rivalry in them too, We find rivalry in all sorts of relationships in our lives, with people at work, with people at school, with your friends, your parents, your children, your church, with your neighbors. Humans were designed to 
work together to complement one another, but instead we compete. We live in rivalry with one another. That's something to lament. Blame, pain, and rivalry now characterize humanity's relationship with itself. And the more these things are perpetuated, the worse humanity treats itself. Blame becomes abandonment, becomes estrangement. Pain becomes depression, which becomes suicide. Rivalry becomes abuse, which becomes murder. The first domino falls and many more follow. There's so much to lament about how humanity has fractured its relationship with itself. And unfortunately, it doesn't even stop there. Our relationship with creation has also been fractured. And that takes us to our final point, creation and humanity. Uh, for her birthday this past year, my wife got this contraption that's called an arrow garden. And essentially what it does is it lets you grow herbs and spices inside your home. It has a basin of water, a light, food for the plants, and you plug it in, stick in these pods for various herbs and spices, and it basically does all the work for you. And even though it was a gift for my wife, I was actually kind of excited to use it because I wanted to grow mint. Uh, there's a, a cocktail that I like called a mint julep, and it would have been super convenient to have mint on hand from this arrow garden. And so we started growing the various herbs and spices, and I started uh, anticipating the mint. Uh, but what eventually happened was that several of the other spices grew so fast and so big that they choked out the mint. You know, the mint would essentially get no light, and eventually it didn't even have room to grow. There was basil all over the place instead. And to this day, four months later, I have not plucked a single mint leaf off this thing. It hasn't worked as expected. It hasn't yielded the fruit that we worked and hoped for. I didn't really labor that hard for it, but still, no mint. That's actually normal in this fallen world now because there is a fractured relationship between creation and humanity. You know, that, that's another fracturing that's described in our Genesis 3 passage, especially, especially in what God says to Adam in verses 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Essentially, work is going to be a lot harder now. Remember, work is good, actually, in God's initial design. Adam had a job to do before the fall, working and keeping the Garden of Eden. And we have to kind of use our imagination when we think about what that must have been like. But using Genesis 3 to help us, it seems like it was more predictable and efficient. There was less pain involved in working. Input was equal to output. You know, turning the raw materials of earth into bread didn't require sweat and pain. There were no thorns or thistles choking out what he grew. Doesn't that sound great? Like, wouldn't it be great to know that if you put in X amount of work, Y would for sure be your return? Wouldn't it be great to enjoy your work from start to finish? I don't know if, if you guys like the movie Elf, but you know how excited they are that they get to work in Santa's workshop and make toys all year round? I wonder if life in the Garden of Eden was a little bit like that, every day a joy to do your work. But as we read at the end of our passage in verses 23 and 24, once Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of Eden. 
Adam and Eve were supposed to work in Eden in such a way that the garden spread to fill the entire creation, all the earth, but instead they were cast out of Eden. And outside of Eden, the creation suffers under a curse. Humanity and creation become alienated from one another. Uh, Paul actually says in Romans 8.22 that we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so work is painful. We have to sweat and toil just to stay alive. We have to avoid thorns and thistles. And even if we do all that, our work still might not yield the expected fruit because our relationship with creation is fractured now. And that's something to lament. And you already know that, right? With your work. What is your work, your vocation, your Monday through Friday, nine to five, so to speak? Uh, If you don't have, you know, a job, you still have work. You might be a student. You might be a caregiver. What's painful about your work? What are the thorns and thistles of work that you have to avoid? What makes you sweat at work, literally or metaphorically? Do you ever take time to just pause and lament those things? You know, one way or another, your work is not the way it was supposed to be. It's not how it would have been in Eden. That's something to lament. But it's not just our work that's messed up because of our fractured relationship with creation. There are so many other obvious and painful manifestations of this fracturing. Hurricanes, tornadoes, avalanches, earthquakes, tsunamis, famines, droughts, animal species going extinct, diseases, cancer, pandemics. And of course, the final enemy, death. God's words to Adam are essentially, you're going to work a lot. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be that productive, but at least at the end of it all, you die. Death is the final enemy, the final manifestation of our alienation from creation. Our bodies are a part of creation, and they will betray us. They're fallen, just like the rest of it. We have a fractured relationship even with our own bodies, susceptible to infections and viruses, slowly becoming less and less efficient until one day they just stop working altogether. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There's so much to lament. You know, this has been a kind of depressing sermon. That's intentional. It could have been far more depressing. Trust me. But it's easy to miss all the things that there are to lament. We're just kind of used to the way things are. You know, when something bad happens, we may find ourselves saying things like, that's just a part of life. But I want you to see that that's wrong. It isn't just a part of life. Life, true life, was in Eden. True life is in the presence of God, naked and unashamed. True life will be in Christ, in the new heavens, in the new creation, in the new earth that's to come. And so don't get too used to the way things are. Don't settle for that's just a part of life. This life in the fallen world is not true life. It's less real than the garden somehow. It's less real than heaven somehow. And when we compare this life to the garden, when we compare this life to heaven, there's so much to lament. But even though there's so much to lament, as Paul says, we do not lament as those without hope. So we'll wrap up here with a glimmer of hope, two places I want to draw your attention to in Genesis 3. Near the end of the chapter, 
Genesis 3.21, God makes garments out of animal skins for Adam and Eve, and he clothes them. He puts clothes on them. They were naked and ashamed, and so they covered themselves with fig leaves, and after their conversation with God, he had mercy on them. You know, he's basically saying to them, don't worry about covering your shame and embarrassment. Let me cover you. Let me cover your shame and embarrassment. And he makes garments of skin for them to wear as clothing. Now, where did these skins come from? Obviously, they would have been animal skins. And so God had to end an animal's life. He had to slay an animal, shed its blood, in order to take its skin and cover Adam and Eve. It, a sacrifice on their behalf, essentially. You know, despite the absolute betrayal committed by Adam and Eve, God still pursues them. They fractured the relationship. God works to put it back together. The shame and embarrassment drives Adam and Eve to hide from God, and so God covers them so that they won't feel like they need to keep running and hiding anymore. But it comes at a cost. Blood had to be shed to cover Adam and Eve. And of course, The animal that gave its skin for clothing isn't going to be enough. Something far better has to be sacrificed. Better blood has to be shed. A better covering has to be provided. Jesus, the Son of God, has to give his life. And he won't come until thousands of years after Adam and Eve's day, but God still promises his son then. Verse 15 in our passage, God tells the snake, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One day, God says to the snake, from the offspring of this woman will come someone, a human like them, acquainted with their laments, tempted in every way, but who is also God, infinite in power and glory, and he is going to stomp on your head. It won't be easy. It won't be pain-free. You'll get some bites in on humanity's heel, but Jesus is going to come out victorious. You will be destroyed, snake. Sin will be destroyed. Death will be destroyed. And if they're all destroyed, then there'll be no more causes for lament, right? We lament now. There's no shortage of things to lament now. But Jesus is making it so that one day there'll be nothing left to lament. No more sin, no more pain, no more death. Nothing to lament because of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you and thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives that you pursue us while we try to hide. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son to provide a covering for us that covers more than our shame and embarrassment. It covers all our sin. It makes us righteous so that you see us. When you see us, you see him. Father, we confess that we like to keep feelings of sadness and mourning and lament at arm's length. During this time, Lord, help us to feel deeply the sadness of this fallen world so that you can lift us up higher in the hope that comes from Christ. We pray this all in your son's name, Lord. Amen.